Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from 4 Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's a great, it's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead you could say it's just it's, they're just there's good racing and i enjoy it mm. from the racetracks across australia and around the world here's inside supercars hello and welcome to inside supercars for another week joining me to discuss all the topics of phillip island and a whole bunch more from fairfax auto action and of course inside supercars it's mark fogarty how are you going folks g'day craig so good to be back Yes, and stimulating intellectual discussion on V8 supercars. Stephen, or is that an oxymoron? I'm sure Stefan Bartholomeus has got some great exclusives for us this week too, Stefan. Well, yeah, folks has put the pressure on for some uh, high-level discussion, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, don't worry, it'll, it'll dissolve into just absolute rubbish, so you'll be fine. Thanks, folks. <laughs> you su- you're suggesting that's my forte? <laughs> No, no, we're all three of us are very good at rubbish. Don't worry. Perhaps it goes with the name. Have you not listened to this show before? Craig Lowndes still in the hunt. Technically, Craig Ravel is in charge. You think? We know. Well, he he was for the first eighteen seconds, anyway. Yeah, I would even suggest fifty seconds. Philip Island, Craig Lowndes kept himself in the hunt. Is Folks, in your years of experience, is a comeback like this Lazarus rising? No, it's what he does most of the time, isn't it? He's t- I mean, he's become used to being runner-up in the title, I think, six times in the last ten years. Um, and he'll be runner-up again, I would have thought, an, an 11th, uh, a seventh time. And it's, it's, what, the fifth time he's gone into the last event um, having made a late season push to get in contention for the title, but um, no matter, uh, well, I couldn't conceive how any catastrophe that could derail Frosty at this stage. I mean, it could happen, but honestly, if Frosty lost it from here, uh, heads, heads would have to roll. You would think, Stefan, five or three years ago, actually, you would have bet that. FPR could, or Pro Drive Racing Australia could do something wrong. But with two Bathurst success and a, such a solid year this year, that tag of choker is not being applied by anyone. No, although the momentum's certainly gone out of their charge since uh, since Bathurst, which happens to coincide with when uh, Jazz Mostert obviously was sidelined with injuries. So they haven't exactly... Uh, steamrolled their way through the entire season but um, as folks suggest I think um, the work already done should uh, should be enough to see Frosty through and from the other side it's another year of um, Craig going into the final round with, with a mathematical chance but um, everyone's sort of looking back through the year where he maybe wasn't consistent enough and hasn't put himself quite in a position where he's uh, Certainly not where he's favourite to win it anyway. A lot has been talked about about the Mostert factor, folks, and it's hard to believe that the second young driver in the team can have such a significant impact in how the team performs overall. 
few points to be made here, referring to what Stefan was talking about. Pro Drive Racing Australia, formerly known as Ford Performance Racing, they're not choking, but they're having a good gag. You know, I, I can hear the <laughs> from afar. Um, so the ghosts are still there. Craig Lowndes this year, unusually, actually started quite strongly. That's in the past traditionally been his weakness, that, you know, he's had to gather momentum and comes on strong, usually around the mid-season. Queensland Raceway was always somewhere where he fired up and then off he went, he's charged towards the end of the season. This year he was actually strong early on and, in fact, if you, if you look back, he was actually leading the championship at at least one stage, may have led it twice. Um, so they're quite interesting sort of um, points to be made. Um, and I've forgotten what was it, what was the actual question. It was Chas Moss's impact and role oh, in yeah. the team. Well, uh, yeah, well, clearly. I mean, it would be such a different game if Mostert was still racing. I am convinced that if Mostert hadn't been sidelined with his terrible crash up at Bathurst, he would be giving Frosty an absolute nightmare run. And in fact, I've got to say, I reckon by this stage, he would be leading the championship. We'd probably still be looking at a shootout in the Sydney 500, but it'd be Mostert that would be piling the pressure on Winterbottom, if not leading the championship, slenderly going in. But So Frosty's had a break in that Mostert is out, not the way he would have liked it, but he is missing, missing Mostert, and he has said as much that Mostert was giving them really good direction on setup in terms of qualifying speed and then transferring that in a different guise into, into race speed, and it, it can't be a coincidence that Mark's relative struggles, you know, an ordinary form, has happened since Bathurst. I mean, he performed... I mean, he drove like a champion to win the Sandown 500, I thought, winter bottom, and that was a really good sign. And he, another champion's drive in salvaging second from a very difficult weekend behind Lowndes um, at Bathurst. It was all looking good. And then at the Gold Coast, it just went to pot. And, you know, what's the only deduction you can make? You know, the absence of Mostert and his lightning speed out of that FGX Falcon has been critical. Another man who has been quick in the Ford garages is David Reynolds, Stefan. But he obviously now is in a position where, well, I don't really need to help the team. It's not my team anymore. Unfortunately, his championship hopes were sidelined up towards Hayshed. And uh, I guess there's a whole bunch of stories and a whole bunch of things we could talk about. Uh, Van Gisbergen and Reynolds' contact and did the penalty fit the crime? Does David have any moral obligation to be the Ford playing rear gunner to Winterbottom? Do you want to start with any of them? Well, I think the, um, the primary thing for David is that he'd, he'd probably like to be second at the end of the season rather than third. Um, you know, to some people that doesn't mean very much, but... Um, he, he was second before that race where he got uh, escorted off the road by Shane Van Gisbergen there on Saturday. Um, you know, I, I don't think he'll, he'll be lying awake worrying about whether Winterbottom's going to win the championship or not, but um, that's partly because, um, yeah, I think Frosty should do it regardless. It's only if he gets taken out by someone else or makes his own error that he's going to lose it. So, um, I don't know. 
Dave will really play any role in, in deciding that. But certainly what happened on Saturday at Phillip Island raised a couple of issues. Um, a lot of people were talking about um, whether title contenders need to be protected um, and, and harsher penalties being applied for when, when they are messed with in, in the final events. And interestingly, folks had uh, spoken to Bugs and written a story the day prior where uh, Jason had basically said that they would come down very hard on uh, on anyone who does interfere. And, and lo and behold, there was a very lenient penalty for something that regardless of the championship situation seemed to be uh, quite, a, uh, quite a dastardly act. So um, that, that was curious. And there's also the, the factor that applies all the time of sometimes these issues are looked at during the race and there's a drive-through penalty, which in the... Saturday situation would have put Shane back to last if he'd had a drive-thru. Um, but that they do a post-race, then he gets a 25-point penalty instead of what would have been a 60-point penalty going from fourth back to back to last. So uh, I think that's the broader issue that needs to be looked at before next year to get that consistent. Fogues, you, you did write the story about, you know, we're going to make sure this is a fair and even contest, but it certainly didn't seem either fair or even if uh, David can lose 50 points and Shane 25? It was mishandled. I don't think there was any, you know, forget all the conspiracy theories and, and you know, any suggestions of bias. Um, I just think, plain and simple, um, in the heat of the moment, the decision on what to do about that incident between um, Van Gisbergen and, and Reynolds was, was mishandled. You know, it probably deserved... Well, not probably. It deserved a harsher penalty, but you know, I, knowing the gears, who is impulsive and impetuous at the best of times, you know, it, it wasn't part of any great holding plan, you know, um, to knock Winterbottom out of the running. You know, you, I, I just wouldn't credit Shane with you know going with that sort of you know forethought. Um, so I just think it was a, it was bungled a bit. Um, and you asked the same question about wind cups, you know, last gasp dive on Winterbottom, you know, three corners from home on the final lap of the of the, of the Sunday race. Um, you know, that might look suspicious. And, well, you might think it's suspicious given it was a, you know, a Red Bull racing car, you know, attacking um, the championship leader. But the fact is, if you look at it, it was a racing incident. You know, it, it was just... Win Cup, who is a driven man and, and who just chases the best result he can all the time, um, has made a desperate lunge, a really good desperate lunge, and, and pulled it off. And I think the fact that Mark Winterbottom particularly has, was so sanguine about what happened after the fact tells you everything that, yeah, well, maybe it was a bit dodgy, but, yeah, hey, it's racing. Mm. And so, only two things missing from it, folks. Number one the engineer going, dump him, spin it or win it. And number two, the Audi team manager going, hit him, hit him, hit him. Yeah. And I mean, you have to know well, the video as, as we, to appreciate as, that. As we know, but lots of ill-informed people apparently didn't in the lead-up. You know, team orders, overt team orders, are illegal in V8 supercars, unlike Formula 1. Um but, you, you know, you cannot instruct a driver, you know, um, to do something that has a um, 
an adverse or a, certainly a, a very a dramatic effect on the outcome of the race by you know moving around or doing something um, at, at the team's instruction. Now there are many ways around it, uh, but in this case, um, I mean, I would like to believe. Maybe I'm naive. Wouldn't have thought so very often. Um, but you know, I like to believe that you know Wincup was just having a go. He saw a chance. He took it. Great move, I thought. And had. Winterbottom not finished fourth, would there have been a different standard applied to what that move was? Stefan? Well, to be honest with you blokes, as I always am, I, I would suggest that um, if, if those two cars had come together at the apex in such a way that it just took both cars out, if they'd happened to just pluck the up, upright out of the front of both of them, the the crash would have been more Frosty's fault than Jamie's because the way he's come over the rise there at Lucky Heights and the design of the corners is he's prone to it. But Mark's actually done most of his defending in the braking area where Jamie's already committed to, to the move. So I certainly don't think it would have been right to penalise um, Jamie for for that, regardless of the consequence, because um, it, was just, it was just a good move. And... Um, Maybe Frosty was half okay with it because he, he'd been to the Kimi Raikkonen school of finishing fourth is better than third when you want to avoid the press conference <laughs> and, uh, and avoid all the questions that come with it. So, um, yeah, and, and to focus points about um, the, the team orders and, and the manufacturer rivalries, like you referenced there, Craig, with DKM, it's, it's a massive, massive issue. Um, I, I think most of that's just more, more mental pressure and mind games from... Uh, from the Simon McNamara set that um, I don't think there's anything particularly untoward going on on the track, but uh, it's certainly an attempt to rattle the cages down there at ProDrive by suggesting that all the Holden teams are working together, which patently HRT would like to be Triple Eight more than any other team on the grid, I I would suggest. So um, it was an interesting little one. It was indeed. If if, If they were working together, they made a mess of it. Well, that hasn't Seriously. been the first. That yeah, hasn't mate. been the first time that the HRT has made a mess this year. We need to take a break here on Inside Supercars. Plenty more. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two level two the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Fogues and Stefan joining me, Craig Ravel. And, Fogues, the other interesting story that came out of the weekend was um, the story from Volvo that Scott McLaughlin was robbed a chance of victory because of his pit bay. And it sort of leads into the whole, the real battle at Sydney is not the News Limited and, uh, and V8 supercar media Lowndes could win it, it's really this team's championship and the battle for the pit bays. Boo-hoo, Scotty McLaughlin. 
I mean, the pit lane jumble is what it is. You can't just come, oh, I was robbed of a race victory because, you know, we're too far down the pit lane. I was well, robbed of a race victory because I didn't get in the car and race. Exactly. You know, I mean, <laughs> it is what it is. If you want to get the primo position, you win the championship and you're up the front. Um, you know, it's a bigger question of, you know, we clearly need, and it would take some effort and cost, but we clearly need to make the pit lanes longer and bigger so that you can actually fit both cars in at the same time without tripping over each other and get in and out cleanly. But that's not going to happen. So there it goes. You know, if, you, if you're stuck in the ruck, you know, in the melee of the, of the pit lanes, well, the solution to that is do better and get, and get a prime position. And, and, and you're right. That's why there's a desperate battle that will be going on in Sydney between principally Pro Drive Racing Australia and Triple Eight Race Engineering uh, and peripherally, I guess, Holden Racing Team, um, you know, for the team's championship because that then gives you the, the pick of the pit lane spot uh, the, the, right at the top of the pit lane and everyone tells me that's where you want to be. So, um, you know, I've got all the time in the world for Scotty McLaughlin and he usually talks eminent sense, but in, in this instance, really, he's just, you know, he's just he's having a whinge. Now, when we make the comment about the team's championship and pit spots, have we forgotten the fact that a team that is either joining with new wrecks and licences has to pit where the lowest car of the previous year finished, i.e. if your team has got a car that didn't even race last year with no points, shouldn't the team that's merged with them start at the other end of the garage? Are you going to let me defend Scotty first, or are we moving already? Well, you can do what you like. It's your show. You're unbelievable. You're going to defend him, are you? Well, um, I know you, you like to have a reputation of being quite uh, quite cutting, folks, so uh, it's, it's only fair that you play that card. But um, I'm hard but know, fair. It's not like Scotty was having a massive winch. He just pointed out that the way it worked out with the rejoin, with how, how close he was to holding off Craig, into turn one, that he felt that if, he, if he'd if he been able to keep the track position through the pit stop, then he would have had the car to, or he did have the car to hold him out. Yeah. Well, that's a different, but that's a different matter, isn't it? Well, that's, no. That, but that's, then that's, you, that's axiomatic, that's, yeah, of course. You but, take it one step further and say, why didn't they hold the track position? And it's because he had to stop and wait on the way out of his pit box. Yeah, but he, uh, also, wah, had a wah, longer, wah. he also had a longer fuel stop. So he had to put more fuel in the car at that at that point too. So there was a lot of really good team tactics going on, which made the race even more interesting. Yeah, and I guess the other thing with it is that teams do put a fair bit of effort, even though when the safety car comes out, everyone scrambles and has to pit, and it's an absolute schmoggle. Unless you're um, Jamie Wincup at Bathurst, and then you just do another lap and pull five seconds at the beginning of the race and lose the race at the end. But uh, in the situation under green, um, like what Scotty had, teams do obviously scan radios and uh, visually scan the pit lane to see who's out and about to uh, get an understanding of who's pitting. So they do try to minimise that risk. Um, there's a certain element of, uh, of luck to it as well with who pits behind you. But um, it's certainly an issue that teams are always trying to, trying to avoid. Um, and I guess the problem there for Scotty, it was interesting. Like he, did have, he did have a good car, but 
the aero wash of these things nowadays at Phillip Island in those high-speed corners meant that um, even if he did have a tenth or two over Craig, um, he was he was never going to get by. Mm. Do you want to answer my second question now, the one I actually asked you? Well, I um, I wouldn't, to be honest, but you've asked it anyway. I would have to double-check in the uh, operations manual, but I think that they actually changed that, which is why we see... Um, like the Bottle O and Superbike car up there with um, the Pepsi car, that it's actually the highest plate um, uh, teams from the previous year's teams championships, the highest plate, and then any wrecks that are grouped with that to get to move up the pit lane. So in actual fact, what we could see is Red Bull win the teams championship, the Caltex car, the Techno car, and then ProDrive Racing Australia. Yeah, and likewise, if ProDrive do, you're going to see there five and six and then the super black and whatever number that waters is running um all ahead of um jamie and craig and so on folks yeah yeah you you two summed it up yeah you're right it used to be that the least performing of the car in the groupings dragged everyone down and that's that's why you had some very unusual um, groupings and locations, but um, yeah, now it's led by the lead cars, so problem solved. Mm. I think the the team that um, will actually, just off the top of my head, struggle with that next year is um, DJR because um, they'll be coming off quite a low basis with both of their wrecks. Mm. It's, it's well, well, yeah, well, but, well, but yeah. it'll re- it'll only it'll reflect, you know their average performance, if you like, over the season with pie, won't it? So oh, for sure. They'll pretty, much, they'll pretty much be where they should be. I mean, what, are you suggesting that they should be up near the front? Well, I'm not saying they should be put there, but next year when they're a clearly front-running team, as, as we're expecting, I think this conversation that we had, we had about McLaughlin at um, Phillip Island fighting for the win, but... Um, Losing out a little bit due to the poor pit position will be a conversation we have about that team next year. All right. Well, let's have a break here and then come back and talk about DJR Team Penske here on Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Stefan Bartholomew and Mark Fogarty here. And uh, DJR Team Penske, Stefan, uh, I think you're heading my line of thinking here, that they're on the cusp of being a a very dominant team with the way that they've built their season this year. Yeah, it's something that um, I think... The level that they started at was a lot lower than they expected. Um, it was blatantly fairly diabolical earlier in the year, and it probably 
their plans weren't helped a lot by the driver changes they didn't expect. But even going back to as far as Hidden Valley, there was some pretty clear signs of progress, and they've uh, they've gradually raised that that benchmark. I think by about Sandown, they had a fair bit more performance, but through the through all three Perth Enduro Cup events, there was just issues executing the races, whether it have been Marcus's start in neutral at Sandown or a bit of strategy and obviously mechanical failure at Bathurst and, and so on and so forth. But um, we finally saw a Pukatoe in a simpler format um, than drop the car on the track and be uh, right up there in quality and, and get a podium. So um, Scotty wasn't too far away um, at Phillip Island. Obviously, he made that mistake on the Sunday, um, which, which gave him a result that was a lot poorer than the car speed was. So um, for sure, I think um, they're at that position now where they're fighting for the top five, and, and next year they should be winning some races. Folks, do you have our rosy-coloured optimism? I think it's a giant leap of faith to assume that DJ Team Penske will be, well, unless I misheard it, I think Stefan said a dominant team next year. I think that's highly unlikely. A front-running team... Probably, but no guarantee. That team still has a lot of work to do. Um, they'll be expanding the two cars. They're still betting in um, personnel, and there'll be more personnel changes, hopefully for the better, as we go into the season. Um, and then they've got to bet in Fabian Coulthard there. There's so many things I think they still have to learn that while... I'm pretty sure it'll be a much stronger effort overall from the start and that they will score more regular podiums. I still think race wins are quite a long way away for that operation. 2017 will be a different story altogether, I suspect. But next year, you know, yes, I would expect they'll get a race win or maybe even some race wins, but um, I still think... Uh, and... and I suspect, you know, just for, for logical reasons, um, that at best um, they'll be, you know, fourth or fifth in the pecking order, which is a big jump from this year. But for them to, you know, leap into championship contention, I, I think at this stage is just far too much to expect. Mm. I know the doctor likes to listen to this show, so I'll be interested to see how, uh, if they do have some quick success, he might... Uh, um, recall this conversation to you folks. Did Lucas yeah, well, bring it on? Did Lucas benefit from Paul's experience on the weekend? That's for you folks. Oh, you would ask me, wouldn't you? I was well, going to ask both of you, but well, before you jump into that, folks, I reckon Craig's yeah. got to go back to the third umpire on whether I said that DJR will be dominant next. I, I actually think I said it. In the form of a go. question. Oh, okay, no, fair enough. I think That's I said it in the form of a question, but I'll I wear qualify. it. I'm big enough I qualify, to wear it. I qualify it, Stephen, so if you didn't say that... One of the front-running teams and in a position to win a couple of races, which I think was where you ended up with your yeah. explanation. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree with that. Okay, well, someone threw the dominant word in there. I did, so. and oh, the doctor geez. can come down and thank me for it next year if that happens to be the case. Yeah, so now he's... Now you really want me to appraise Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport? Yes, from the uh, yeah yeah. Look, uh, interesting. Paul, uh, he knows those cars very well. Yeah. He's been in the cars with the ultimate engineering yeah. package. And, yeah, yeah. And how did he go? 
Well, he was in the midfield for most of the race weekend. Uh, well, really? Most of the race weekend? You sure about that? Well, at times he was in the midfield. He's no Nick, he was no Nick Furcat, was he? But uh, did we expect him to be? Yes. He's experienced. He used to be a very fast, regular main game driver. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, yes, he was thrown in, you know allegedly or apparently, you know, got the call when he was, you know, sitting up the road from San Remo munching on a McDonald's burger or something and got thrown into it. Uh, you know, I don't know why you would expect any more or, or any less. You know, he, he did a workmanlike job for a part-timer. I, I just love the fact that we can for get a, in trouble for, for using back, the word... For, for, I'll add, for a, I'm sorry, what is a back marketing end of. All right. I like the fact that we can be jumped all over for using the term dominant, but you will then use on one of the fittest people I've ever met, sitting down having a McDonald's hamburger. I love that, Stephen. Well, apparently he was. <laughs> he was at McDonald's anyway, so what else would you be having? Well, they have a, they have a wide range of healthy options, you know, folks. Thank you, Stephen. I'm well aware of that, but... <laughs> Um, that's not the impression I got, but I'll give Paul the benefit of the doubt. He was there having a a salad wrap. Has Pam got a contract with McDonald's now? Because that defence was just uh, pitch perfect. I uh, I also like that folks threw in, allegedly, it was spur of the moment because there was some, uh, some interesting uh, lack of... Uh, uh, this is, some of the stories didn't line up coming out of there, put it that way, about how it all went down. Yeah. He just happened to be on his way down there. With his helmet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right, yeah. But, uh, his there development was... series race suit. Yeah, anyway, we could, we could talk about that for a while. But, yeah, I think the key uh, the key thing that everyone saw out of that was that um, Nick Perkat, um does a pretty outstanding job in those cars. Because when you say that um, Paul knows those cars pretty well, I don't reckon he would have got down there and gone, oh, this all looks familiar. Um, because the uh, the equipment at Red Bull is quite uh, quite a way above what's down there at Lucas's. And um, the co-drivers do all have a bit of a laugh how um, some of the guys, and this is not discrediting PD at all, but some of the co-drivers that are in the really good cars get glorified probably a little bit uh, more than they they should because they jump in very good cars and do a good job with them and they look like they're far and away better than some of the other co-drivers, which uh, isn't always the case. Would it, would it be mischievous of me to question why it's taken Paul D'Umbrell so long to finally drive his brother's team? I don't think it'd be mischievous at all. But it might be a question you should ask the D'Umbrells rather than uh, the likes of us. Yeah, but I'm safe here. They can't growl at me, you know, because mm-hmm. you know I'm very soft and easily offended and I get upset I get upset at that a break on Inside Supercars when we return Fogues will tell us about his uh, soft and cuddly discussion with Mr Penske on Ford's continuing involvement in the sport allegedly we'll take a break here on Inside Supercars join in the conversation post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page 
Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates to tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Mark Fogarty from, well, just about anywhere you can see his stuff. Canberra Times, The Age, The Sydney Morning Herald there, of course... Um, and in auto action, where he's the editor. You're still the editor at large? Still the editor at large, thank you. There you go. And, of course, Hall of Fame for the V8 Media Association. And, uh, well, yeah. what else? where else can you go from there? Stephen Bartholomew. Only, only down. Stephen Bartholomew was the man who cleaned up last year at the uh, Media Awards with. Oh, yeah, stabbed me in the heart. Yeah. Three that guns. Sounds like, sounds like you're feeling time, Wound me. Oh, here we go. But, um, folks, you did speak to the captain, and he he was telling you that he's working very hard to get into 2017 with some sort of forward backing. That's what he said. He's going to keep talking to them in the United States and with the new boss of Ford Performance, which is this week's name for Ford Racing. Um, he'll keep applying the pressure and... Um, that's the direction he wants to go. I, I, I'm not sure why he's so wedded to Ford, given that you know his um, extensive dealer net network in the United States and in Western Europe um, encompasses just about every brand you can think of. He can pick up the phone and talk to the big bosses at any major car company in the world, um, but seems to have a Ford B in his bonnet, so that's that's the position he wants to try and pursue and um, get Ford support out of Detroit or Detroit to put pressure on Broad Meadows um, and presumably um, sooner than later, if that all worked out, they'd be running Mustangs and those Mustangs would presumably be powered by some sort of uh, supercars version of the, I think it's a three-and-a-half-odd litre EcoBoost V6 race engine that they already have, a you know, a ready-made um, alternative to a traditional five-liter V8 um, that also Nissan and General Motors, at the very least, have access to. So, um, if, I mean, if anyone can persuade Ford to get back into racing in this country, um, it is Roger Penske. But it'll be a huge effort because Ford Australia have just well, they've pretty much lost interest in life, really, let's face it. You know, they've abandoned their performance car heritage. You know, they've abandoned racing. They've pretty much even abandoned, you know, actually selling cars in, in, you know, in serious numbers. So, uh, sorry, I've got no faith in that mob out there. Mm. Perhaps he's wedded to uh, Ford because uh, Volkswagen, Skoda and Audi are so toxic. Uh, Stefan? What's your thoughts on this this whole push to try and keep Ford? I, I think I wrote a story at the beginning of the year about why do you want to try and, you know, why do you want to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't want to be there with you? Well, well I, 
could go I could go a long way on analogies with that. But um, I think uh, when when you go to a V8 Supercar event um, and you see the amount of uh, passion there is for the Ford brand among supporters, it's just a logical thing to like. Yeah, obviously Rogers got that relationship with Ford and the NASCAR team and all that side of it. But you know, rather than bringing in a new manufacturer, um, the all the all the support and everything's already there. Um, it's just that Ford don't want to be involved, and that's the thing that sort of stings. I think is the fact that it's not that Ford Australia um, don't want to put money into it; it's they don't even want to be associated in any way with the V8 Supercars program. And um, like, yeah, Roger um, said to me at Pukekohe that there's been no dialogue between him and Ford Australia, um, and obviously. As has been widely reported, they are they are talking with the Ford Performance guys in the US, but it's they've also been Roger's been open with it as well that it's it's going to need major buy-in from the Australian arm. It can't just be the American um, arm coming over the top of Ford Australia's decision. It doesn't work that way. So um, yeah, there's there's the support there fan-wise, and there's also as folks alluded to that three and a half liter EcoBoost V6 Turbo that. Um, would of course need need some modifications to fit to whatever rules there to guys end up with for Gen 2, but um, it's there as a pretty handy base for, for the technical side as well. And Stefan, you brought up a very interesting and valid point there is that is the, the fan interest in Ford still remains. And when I was talking to Roger Penske, he made the point that he has never seen the red versus blue or blue versus red tribal rivalry out here anywhere else in the world. He said it's far in excess, you know, of the Ford versus Chevy rivalry in NASCAR. And, and, and that was one of his main justifications for, you know, pursuing a relationship with Ford because that traditional rivalry is so strong that, you know, he feels that the factory, you know, needs to be, um, at the very least, acknowledging it and and participating. So, um, you know, you've you brought up that something's something that's very salient to um, Penske's approach to trying to woo Ford back into the V8 fold. Hmm. I'd even throw in that per percentage of punters who follow a sport, there would be in percentage terms of people who follow the sport and people who have a tattoo emblem of a part of that sport on their body, Fiat Supercars would have to be far in excess of any other sport in this country. You know, there's, there's football clubs that do have magpies and, and other logos on their supporters, but I don't reckon the percentage-wise would be anywhere near what the motorsport fans get up to. And appearances on A Current Affair and the old Today Tonight too, where would they be without... Um, oh, I've always wondered the, if they get... The perpetrators... Uh, being dressed in HRT or Ford Performance <laughs> Racing gear. If that gets in HRT's media monitoring every time that uh, that happens, I'm, I'm unsure. But the sponsors certainly get a big run out of those. Yeah, well, a certain person that I know at Nissan got very excited pre-Bathurst when you know, in a current affair report or one of those tabloid <laughs> programs report on a on someone who'd done something not in line with normal... Um, social mores, you know, he was very excited that the person was wearing a, a Nissan V8 supercars jacket. 
The new bad boys. Make of make, make that what you will. Speaking of Nissan, you know, it occurs to me in this discussion about, you know, where does Hensky go post-2016, wouldn't you have thought that if you were Nissan, they would be a logical team to approach as you are now in the midst of reviewing what you're doing and you want to progress your V8 supercars program? Wouldn't you throw it out there to see if Penske were, were interested in running at least half your program, two cars, that when you went forward in 2017 with Nissan, that you, you might think, well, we've had these few years with the Kellys and running four cars, and, you know, we've yet to see whether that's getting anywhere, so maybe there, thereafter we'll split our effort and we'll go two cars with the Kellys and two cars somewhere else because the amount of money they're spending, to be honest, it <laughs> is, to my understanding, is, is has been more than what you know, say, Triple Eight and HRT are getting from Holden, and and it's obvious certainly more than Ford have been putting into PRA this year and and DJR Team Penske, which in the latter case has been a big fat zero. Mm. Just, just throwing that, just throwing that out there, boys. Well, just to build on that, that would be a very fascinating uh, turn of events when you look at how the championship is set up with these new manufacturers because so much of the uh, the engine IP is is Kelly's rather than Nissan. So, like, in, in the example of um, just very much hypothetically Nissan going with DJR for Gen 2 and rolling in a Nismo V6 twin turbo at the same time, that's kind of a, a cleanish break. But um, if Nissan or Volvo, that's probably slightly different because of the way their engine program works, but if Nissan in particular wanted to go to a second team, um, we'd really see the split on DSDs and, and how all that IP is, is controlled. Well, I can exclusively reveal, Stefan. Oh, mm-hmm. I was waiting for that. The arrangement <laughs> between Nissan and Kelly Racing is that the IP is shared so that if or when um, they were to part or split their relationship, um, Nissan retains the IP, the engine IP particularly, um, and it can be taken elsewhere. And if you think about it, that makes sense. You know, why would a giant motor corporation like Nissan, um, you know, just leave all that IP um, with a V8 supercar team? So um, if... If they were to go ahead and split their uh, effort or even change their effort totally, um, that engine IP is able to go with them. And then you have to ask about Toyota and their resistance to do any more than a safety car, yet to get into bed with uh, Roger Penske in any way is good for your brand. And so that's another, uh, another little enticing uh, thread that is out there. We need to take a break on Inside Supercars. There's a couple more things we need to do before a final thought or observation. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. 
Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Rapsdale family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Stephen Bartholomew and Mark Fogarty. And just uh, we we need to uh, keep this one a bit quicker. But, folks, you wrote an interesting story about the new engines, and uh, I don't know if they will provide better racing. But one thing's for sure: if you are in the engineering department of V8 Supercars, they're definitely going to provide a lot more he- headaches. And we're going to regularly hear, in my opinion, that favourite word of journalists, parody. And I guess teams enjoy saying it as well. Well, it's going to rear its ugly head when the Gen 2 regulations come into play from 2017. I, I think it's unlikely that we'll see any alternative configuration to the V8s in 2017 at least. Um, and yeah, the V8 Supercars technical, technical department um, have a big job on their hands to um, arrange parity between the existing V8s and any V6 twin-turbo newcomers. And um, so that's why they've gone ahead and, and, and sort of concocted their own um, vision, if you like, of, of what the ideal V twin-turbo v, V6 engine will be. It'll be around 3.5 to 3.8 litres. So they've got hold of a production um, Holden V6 block, which is 3.6 litres, and they've um, added race components, including you know a twin turbo setup, and they're going to test it. Um, it'll be tested, as will any new engines, um, according to the existing you know cumulative horsepower maximum figure, um, and you know then it's up to the teams as it is now to, to, to work out, you know, how that power and, more importantly, probably torque is delivered, you know, in the range that they measure, which is, I don't know, it's probably not from zero revs to 7,500. You know, it's probably a smaller range. I can't remember the exact figure, but it's quite a wide range. And the cumulative figure is 20,000 horsepower plus measured in 50 rev increments. Increments. Stefan probably knows this better than I do. Yeah, um, it, it works out to be a very big number, which can get reported as uh, more power than a uh, a, a jet airline's combined. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's cumulative, you know. So, and <laughs> what you know, it's any engine in V8 supercars can't produce any more cumulatively over that rev range test than that figure. Um, and it's how the engines perform in between, you know, in terms of the low range, the mid range, and, and, and the top end. So anyway, the, 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 the twin turbo V6s, or you know, even more, well, it's open to you know, turbocharged four cylinder engines too. But um, the convention, the, 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 the current thinking is that a, you know, it has to be a large two and a half liter plus capacity turbo engine. It, it, it might struggle, but anyway. The rules are open to it. You know, they have to meet the same maximum cumulative horsepower figure as the existing V8s, and then you know 
how they tune the engine in between is up to them. So anyway, long story short, they built this prototype to give them experience of what these sort of engines, what their characteristics will be and how they tune them, and very importantly, you know, for the bespoke um, uh, engine management system, the ECU, um, that will have to run. So anyway, and an even longer story, even shorter, that project of building that engine and putting it on the dyno, which their engine consultant Craig Haystead is doing up in Brisbane, is running behind time. They had planned it originally maybe to run it in the um, fitted to the prototype car of the future Commodore chassis and run it at Bathurst as a demonstration. Then they were thinking of Homebush. Uh, not going to happen. Now, most likely, the engine will run on a dyno. Well, according to David Stewart, the technical and sporting director of VS Supercars, It'll get on a dyno by um, early January, uh, so we won't see it on the track until the Clipsal 500. You, well, yeah, it'll be the Clipsal 500 because there's no pre-season test. And we'll get to hear whether uh, it is actually a, still a loud, noisy, throaty, roary engine or a, or a, a whooshing wimp like the Formula 1 engine. Mm. Now, S- Stefan... Do you have the same confidence and excitement about seeing this V6 twin turbo um, V8 supercar uh, uh, trial engine as we all did for the stock block V8 supercar engine that any manufacturer could just bolt into their car and start running with? Because uh, that one didn't see the light of day either. No, but I guess what they're trying to do is is not um, prepare an engine that will be dropped uh, off at a race team and they'll, they'll go and put it on the grid at Clipsal in 17. It's, it's about um, understanding more this turbo technology and um, being able to write a set of regulations around that because a lot of what what um, was put out certainly initially was, was very broad and um, there's so much more work to do in all of this. Um, V6 Turbo is clearly the ideal platform for Gen 2 but um, all the way through they've talked about being open to basically any engine that can fit in the, in the engine bay itself. So um, the overall picture is that in a, in a way it's because at the moment is a victim of its own success because the, the teams and the cars are so close at the moment that anything that drops in um, that, that's outside the window, either with too much performance or not enough, is really going to stand out. So it's not just about putting that cumulative horsepower figure in place, it's its moment of inertia of components so that they spin up the same way and, and all of that stuff, which, you know, you, you can't just go and put a 16-kilo crank in a four-cylinder turbo. It's, it's just not mechanically going to work. So uh, there's a lot of detail behind behind all that that still needs to be uh, ironed out. Mm. All right. Now, Walkinshaw's downsizers, uh, the Mark Weber of team owners, Charlie Swerkholt, Stefan, where does he go? Um, well, I hope he doesn't have to start racing GTs to finally win a championship in something or Aussie racing why, why cars. Is, why is he the Mark Webber of team owners? I'm sorry. Because he's able to move from a team that instantly, as soon as he leaves, has success. Um, well, I'm, yeah, I'm being okay. very, I'm being very loose with the term because he also left some. During he, a long, he also boat, left yeah. some very poor teams. Well, he actually left a championship team to go and. Um, uh, run down the midfield and back for yeah, some time. Yeah, not by now. choice, though. <laughs> right. 
going to keep torturing that metaphor or should we uh, discuss the news at hand? <laughs> Stefan, you are such a killjoy. And you said Fogg was going to spoil the party. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, obviously they've already confirmed that um, Charlie and, and Walker Chores are going to split with Walker Chores only running the two HRT cars next year. It always looked awkward from the moment that we knew that um, the current super cheap car, the 47 Rec, was not going to run next year for, for Walkinshaws to run three. Um, the economies of scale go out the window on that, and it's fairly widely known that Charlie was asked to pay a significant amount more money um, than was originally uh, planned to have his car run out of there, and um, Charlie's found himself another option, which uh, seems to work for both parties, at least in theory. Um, what we understand at the moment is that he's, he's got a triple eight car, and and technical support package, and there's been a bit of conjecture about where he's going to run it out of. Um, I'm hearing it's going to be out of Melbourne, um, which will help. No, there's no conjecture. <laughs> Jeff Gregg, former Holden Racing Team Manager, is making a comeback, and he's going to be running the team um, out of a, an operational base in Dandenong in southeast Melbourne. Well, that's what I wrote on Saturday, but I believe the next day uh, Auto Action wrote that it's going to be out of the Gold Coast. So um, I think that's where conjecture starts. But, uh, yeah, oh, well. so obviously... Well, hey, folks, is the editor at large, and he's my colleagues, but my clear <laughs> understanding and is that Jeff Greck is coming back. And as you would have seen, Stefan, he was in... His presence in the VA paddock was conspicuous, and he wasn't denying... Come back, so um, there you go. Jesus, another Lazarus rising. Yeah, so it's, hey. a, it's an interesting one on on paper how it will work out um, on the racetrack. We yet to see, but you, you're talking about Charlie uh, moving around. And how, do you, how do you reckon it'll turn out? Well, really, <laughs> for a all right, but uh, just thinking about <laughs> Lee's career, it's uh, been quite a curious, uh, curious path. When he signed for Stones as a four team, and then it turned into a Merck, and then he signed for Charlie, and it, when it was a Pro Drive Ford, turned into a Walkinshaw Holden, and now it's turned into a Triple Eight Holden. So, uh, whatever next. Mm. All right, so you've taken you've taken all this thing out of that because you just said it's going to be uh, it's going to be no good. <laughs> I didn't actually say that. I asked a question. You, you asked you, a you question have a with an inevitable question. Yeah, I admit it may have been tinged with a slight edge of sarcasm. A break here but, on Inside no, Supercars, and then no, we'll be no, back no, with no, a final no thought break. and hey, observation. Boys, no break. A final no thought break. and observation next. Uh, Welcome back I'll... to Inside Supercars. Folks, let's talk through that entire break, trying to interrupt yeah. even the Yeah, ads. there was... There was no break. There was no break, effectively. He needed a pause to pull the circuit breaker on the sarcasm. (laughs) No, I was going to say that it is actually no surprise that HRT are contracting to concentrate on two cars if people had read what, well, you know, I don't mind saying it, mainly what Stefan and I have been writing for the last couple of months. If you track you know, the progress of who was going where and what was going to happen. You know, as soon as Walkinshaw Racing, the group, you know, lost the super cheap auto sponsorship and by consequence lost Tim Slade and then sold their racing entitlement contract to Super Black Racing, 
you know, for them, a three-car model was untenable. So um, it was just a matter, as I said, you know, you could work it out that that was what was going to happen and it should be no surprise. The only question mark over, you know, leading up to all this was whether Charlie Schwerkholt would have the budget to continue with his own um, licence, his own rep next year, which apparently he has and has put together this deal uh, and we'll see it, and we'll see how it all turns out. But it should be no shock to anyone who's, you know, followed the reporting of the silly season, if you like, um, that, that we've ended at this point. All right. A final thought or observation, Stephen Bartholomeus. Um, well, I guess just to follow directly on from that one, um, yeah, there's Charlie's example, I think, of a lot of people entering entering cars, but we can't assume they do actually have the budget there to... Uh, to run them, there's still a lot of work to do commercially for a lot of teams, um, and they had to commit pretty early this year. So uh, it's a tough old world out there. Folks, mm. a final thought or observation? I want Stephen's final thought. Oh well, there you go. That's all we have time for this. Well, 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 well. Are you not well, doing a final thought, Stephen? He just did it. Well, that was his final thought, was it? Oh, sorry. Okay. No, my final thought then. Thank you for asking, Craig. Is Okay, we're going to make up our minds. I'm really tired now. What is each supercar, V8 supercar event? Is it an event or is it a round? A few years back, we changed the game and we split it up into individual races because, as you remember, it used to be that the overall top point scorer of however many races there on a weekend won the round, which confused everyone and then often ended up with someone who never won a race won the round. So they've changed it. So we now have events. But everyone now keeps calling them rounds. So I just want someone to make up their mind. What is each event? Is it an event within which there are three races, which essentially are rounds, or is each event a round? Just want to get the terminology right. Mm. So does Adrian Noonan. Because he's keeping two logbooks of every stat you can imagine. For what, what about Aaron Noonan? Who did I say? Aaron. Adrian. Oh, okay. Well, Aaron Noonan, he's having the same problem as Aaron. Uh, there's, there's an identity crisis there as well as uh, the whole event round race debacle, which we've all been debating now for six years. Mm. Yeah, I know. It drives, it, I don't know. Does it drive you crazy? Yes, it's driven me crazy since I did it. And I didn't ask you. I was asking oh, Stephen. Of course you didn't. Well, I don't, I don't <laughs> know. Fancy running opinion from me. I don't know if there's too many people still using the term round, is there? Everyone. Some drivers do. Yeah, Every single. Everyone on V8 TV yeah, uses round. everyone, even the people at V8 Supercars talk about rounds. Yeah. Who, and they send it out in their around? press releases. And I've been dutifully writing, particularly in, you know, in Fairfax Media, I just go out of my way to write events and all that, not round, thinking, well, I've got to get the terminology right. And I'm thinking, you know, am I an idiot? I'm making life hard for myself. Are we allowed it. to answer that one, Stefan? Please. <laughs> I will leave you now. Thanks very much, folks, and Stefan, for joining us here on Inside Supercars. You're welcome. Bring one of the more chaotic and combative Inside Supercars episodes. Yes, I know. Interesting I, look, I look forward to crossing swords at Sydney Olympic Park, Stefan. The grand finale. What a yeah. round it will be. Oh, no, I don't care about the race. It'll be the V8 
Media Association Award. Yeah, and I think I bloody deserve it just for this show. That'll, that's be, the big, have... that'll be the big battle. That's all we have time <laughs> for this week on Inside Supercars. Until next time around, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.